1: We have Danny Johnson on the call, and Danny uh, is known as the Flipping Junkie, so you can head over to FlippingJunkie.com for some uh, some of the corresponding links, but kind of excited to talk to you today, Danny, because, I mean, you kind of uh, are a, uh, I don't know, a serial entrepreneur, if you will. I mean, you go from flipping houses to, which is like a thousand deals uh, you've done nearly a thousand deals or you've probably exceeded that by now. You're not only financially free, but you also have the flipping junkie podcast and blog. You got a new podcast called braver uh, for those people who've been in the business a little bit. You've been um, a founder of lead propeller. I think everybody's heard of lead propeller. And then we, you also have a CRM forefront. I mean, what else am I missing here? I mean, uh, I'm sure the, the length could be, the list could be pretty long.
2: Oh, it could be. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on, Jack. Uh, yeah. The, I actually have just narrowed down some of that and and, and focused mainly on on a couple things now Is it it's just the podcast. But yeah, I, I think I have a problem <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with starting things, but that's just, I guess that's just being an entrepreneur, right?
1: Yeah. That's just part of it. So that leads me right into our discussion here today is, is being an entrepreneur. Uh, and I wanted to take a moment and talk about how things changed for you when you stopped treating real estate investing and flipping as a hobby and, and tr- actually treated it as a business. And I think that's a mindset change and, and a process change that people actually have to go through.
2: Big time. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't have been able to start all and, and uh, you know, expand and grow all of the things that I have worked on that list that you just mentioned, had it not been for us doing that. You know, I, I got started in, in real estate back in 2003. I did it part time for almost three years. I had to be fired from my job for me to go full time because I, I was, I, I wanted that steady paycheck. And then whenever I was going to be fired, my manager was telling me he was going to fight for me. And I told him, no, don't, don't bother. I need this. I need this kick in the pants to fly out of the nest and just take off with the real estate investing. Because I was already losing money by not, you know, spending my time real estate investing and doing it, you know, working that job instead. And then spent the next, so that was about three years of part-time. Then going full-time, probably spent about six years, five or six years my ex-wife and I running that business, wearing all the hats. So I was handling all the marketing, um, including stuffing envelopes and, you know, putting stamps on all that kind of stuff, taking calls, setting appointments, going on appointments, making offers, following up, you know, Mm -hmm. handling the transaction of buying the house, lining up contractors, doing the scope of work, writing the contract, managing the the rehab and, and all of that. Right. And mm-hmm. so, as you can imagine, when you're doing that, it's it's time consuming. I mean, and, and you end up in feast and famine, right? right. Like, I, if, I, if I crank up my marketing, I get some results. Typically, it's two to three months down the line, leads coming in and I start getting some deals. I get busy with the deals. I slack off of my marketing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, it's just like this cycle, feast and famine. And the interesting thing is, when looking back at that, you know, I was, I was considering, okay, why did it take so long to come to a place where I realized I, I should bring on some help, right? Grow a team so that mm-hmm. we weren't doing everything ourselves. And I think a lot of it stemmed from this idea that I had that if I brought on people to help, I would then be responsible for them and their families, right? Mm-hmm. I would, I would have to generate enough, like keep things growing enough to be able to support them. And, and, and with that came this idea that, that wasn't really thought about. I, didn't, I don't know that I thought about it or talked about it at the time. But if we wanted to before, the idea was there that we could take three months off, not do any marketing or deals and have a long vacation or something. Well, that was never possible because we were too busy. You know, even a, a weekend vacation was was tricky because those calls were coming in and, you know, the fear of losing out on some home run deal uh, you know caused me to have to pick up the phone, answer the phone, and then schedule an appointment for as soon as I got back, so I'm always mentally there, like I just had to to be on top of it at all times and so the freedom that I thought that having the business just be us and be small was was actually not freedom it just was it was the exact opposite of it, sure, so what was the first person that you decided to bring on? The first person we brought on was an acquisitions person, so somebody to go on the appointments because that was very time-consuming. And that was, oddly enough, that was a spot that I didn't want to let go of the most. I was too afraid of trusting somebody else with going on those appointments, um, which which was interesting. And, and it took, you know, a good friend of mine, Justin Williams, kind of showing me what he was doing and the success he was having with his team and him constantly telling me they're going to do better than you, Danny, because they're going to be focused on that, Position that's going to be their position, and and you know hone their skills. But most importantly, they're going to have the time to sit there with because we did mostly direct to seller. You know, we would do motivated seller marketing mm-hmm. uh, to get leads and, and buy the deals. And so they're going to have the time to be able to sit down on the couch and have those conversations and connect with the seller. You know, whereas I got to the point where I would go in, walk around the house, calculate a rough idea of rehab cost, and then make an offer. And be out the door within 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? I just like, okay, I had too much to do. I got to go to the next one or I have to go and get this marketing out or do this and that. And it's interesting because I, I, at one point I had actually written a book. It started on the flipping junkie blog, but I did 34 weeks in the life of my business. Like what I was doing day to day, all the marketing, the leads that were coming in, all that kind of stuff. And that became a book called Flipping Houses Exposed. And in that, I generated in those 34 weeks, 495 motivated seller leads. So that's where people were calling me and saying, hey, make me an offer to buy this house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it you know, wasn't just somebody had an a, a house that was vacant or something. It was actually they were wanting to. So 495 leads. Out of those 495 leads during the 34 weeks, I only turned 11 of those into deals which looking back, that's so painfully atrocious (laughs) that, you know, the amount of work, time, money involved in doing that much marketing, taking and handling that many calls and analyzing that many properties, going on that many appointments and all those kinds of things was, it was absolutely bonkers because we, we had a certain level of success in the beginning doing maybe 10 to 20 deals per year and then saying, okay, we've made this much success. Let's try to get to about 35 deals a year and beyond. Well, without growing a team that just meant more hours and more marketing, more leads, more appointments, it meant more of everything, more work,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because it was all I really knew. And so, you know, got stuck in that trap of, of thinking you know, this is where my mind was, we need more leads and deals. So I'll start measuring my marketing a little bit, but really I'm looking for ways to find other sources of marketing to bring more leads in. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really not a very good uh, sign of, it. and I actually heard John Martinez, a sales, uh, real estate sales uh, professional, good, good friend of mine, but he had said, "Yeah, yeah. I've had him
1: on the show uh, a number of times. Did you? And uh yeah, I know John really well too.
2: Great. And he, yeah, smart guy. And he he um he had said something about you know that you are treating this business as a hobby when you're changing your marketing every month or you're chasing the new hot marketing idea every single month. Mm-hmm. And there's so much truth in that because all of the very successful real estate investors that I know have one, two, maybe three channels that they really get all their deals from because they've become experts at it Mm -hmm. and they've, they've really dialed it in. They know their numbers. They know what's going on. It's, it's somewhat of a a very predictable business at that point. Like they've got it to the point where they're pretty confident. They know what's going to happen in the next three months or six months, you know, barring any big market changes. And and so, you know that that's really what it was. It was treating the business somewhat as a hobby. I mean, like I had no business education. I, I didn't go to college for you know get a business degree. I didn't know the first thing about business for the most part. I, w- I was just knowing that well, I can put marketing out. I can buy houses. I can make money. Mm-hmm. Right. So the whole business side of it was was really lacking. Um. You want to hear about the transition, like the, the turning point? Yeah,
1: yeah. Let let let's let let's go there. And and well, so it's on our radar. I'm gonna definitely ask you questions around how you selected and how you even compensate an acquisitions manager, because I'm sure a lot of people. That is probably going to be one of the first things that people would try to add. And uh, a lot of people, you know, I've even seen people and get questions quite often how do you compensate them how do you how do you stay on top of them what what type of follow up i mean there's there's a number of things that we could probably spend a, a good podcast episode on that alone but oh yeah yeah let's 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 start
2: with uh, that transition yeah and i think that's going that'll go nicely into those topics because it's really an intertwined So I, you know, I had met Justin Williams in a roundabout way. Uh, He wanted me on his podcast, but at the time, Flipping Junkie was pretty popular. So I got a lot of requests and I kind of ignored his email. Well, I met uh, um, someone that knew him at at an event and he emailed me and connected us. And uh, I kind of teased him after that because it was like he was stalking me at that point. But um after talking with him i was blown away because he was telling me i'm i'm really literally only working about 4 or 5 hours a week in my my business my flipping business and so i'm start i've got this podcast going got these other things going and and so we talked a lot during that podcast recording a long time ago and then after right after the call i was sitting there my mind was just spinning i was just like whoa this is strange i've not talked to somebody that's done something like this before and I was like, I've got to go out there and see him. I've got to go fly out there and just hang out with him out in California and see, you know, see his operation, see what he's doing and just shadow him and just, you know, see, pick his brain, you know. So I called him back and said, hey, do you mind if I fly out there and hang out with you? And he goes, sure. I mean, I guess we can plan something. I said, no, I'm talking about like tomorrow. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> you know, I got to stop you there. That, yeah.
1: that is quite telling what extent that you were willing to go through or to 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 make something happen or to or to or to learn from from somebody i've i've had you know you you just don't that's unfortunately that's a rarity what you just did right there and and you automatically instinctively placed the value in that conversation conversation with him and the amount of in the time and effort I mean that is telling. I mean you 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 put put a little money on the line to get out there and see him and spend some time with him and learn from him. You you've placed that necessary value on that and took the necessary action. Yeah, and I yeah, it
2: was it was pretty scary at the time. And I didn't know if he'd reject it or anything, but he accepted. And I said, well, I'm just going to do it then. And I've kind of felt like on that high of hearing all of that and my brain buzzing, I need to do it now. Otherwise, I'll find all kinds of reasons to talk myself out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I flew out there and, and uh, you know, at first I, I started, I kind of doubted him. I was starting to wonder because whenever he picked me up from the airport, you know, we're, we're starting to drive away from the airport and he, he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, let's, let's go check out some of your rehabs. And he says, "Well, I, I don't, I don't really know where they're at." <laughs> and, and even if I did, if I went there, we went there, the contractors wouldn't know who I was. I said, "Okay, well, I'm just thinking my mind. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is this is kind of phony.
3: Hmm. You know,
2: maybe he's just trying to become a guru online and saying he's doing all this stuff." So I, I literally, I doubted him. Um, but it quickly, he quickly proved that. He was actually doing all that stuff pretty soon after, you know. After sitting down, having coffee, talking, we met with his right hand uh, lady that was running pretty much the show for him, and all, all doubts disappeared. It was it was really cool to see, um, and to see that somebody would work for somebody else and and take on a lot of those responsibilities happily, and, and not want the risk and responsibility of of doing the investments and all that kind of thing. So that was that was very eye opening. And I learned a whole lot from that. Um, uh, and one of his friends, Andy, uh, Andy McFarland, great, great guy. Uh, about a year after that, I think it was, I talked to him, and he was doing some different things. And I did the same thing. I just, I think he had said something he wanted to record a YouTube thing. So I was like, "Well, I'm going to fly out and see you tomorrow then, or or real soon." And I flew out to hang out with him. And I can make that story really fast. I mean. There was great things, meeting his team and all of that. But the big thing I took away from that one was he gave me a book called Traction Mm -hmm. by Gina Wickman. Yeah. And that gave me the the framework with which to operate my business as a true business. You know, it gave me the meeting structure, the, you know, the planning out the vision of the company, breaking things down into three-year plan, down to a one-year plan, down to quarters, and really systematizing the business and looking at the numbers, tracking KPIs. And that was a huge turning point in becoming a true business owner, right? One that created freedom for me.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. You know, because at that point there was a way, there were new goals, right? Because it was, what are we going to track for each of these positions so that we know that, you know, we're succeeding and, and our people are succeeding that we bring onto the team because those first hires that I made before that were, you know, those, those were difficult because it was just kind of like come in and shadow me and I'm going to you know, show you how to do all of this, but nothing was documented. And uh, it was kind of like thinking that I would show them a little bit and then they would take off and be as excited about learning and just learning on their own. Like I did whenever I got started, which was not a good way to go. Did not Mm -hmm. work out.
1: So, yeah, so you you took you took those initiatives. You you flew out there, and understood what what they were up to and how they were doing things. So when you got back, you're all fired up. You're you're ready to hire your first acquisitions manager. Where did you start?
2: It was actually kind of easy because my brother-in-law was oh. was interested in, in coming in, and, and he had already been on some appointments with me and hung out with me while I did some deals before. And so he was looking to uh, to come in and and help us out. and And so he was the first hire. I didn't know how to hire beyond that. You know, <laughs> beyond having somebody that was that was right. uh, um, there to to just interested in coming in. And so we worked with him for a while. And you know, I don't know how long that was. I think it was probably about a year. But what I learned a lot about that interaction, was how much of it is mindset in getting deals as an acquisitions person because there was a lot of struggle there, I think in getting those the first deal and I think there's a there's a belief that some people will have in coming in saying well i can't why would somebody sell me a house that cheap? Mm-hmm. you know for as much as we're offering, why would they do that And so there's all these like roadblocks these these mental roadblocks or false beliefs, because we're we're putting our position, we're trying to imagine that the seller is in our position where everything is fine. It's not that big of a deal. And not realizing that to them, they know they're selling it below value, but they are getting the convenience of just having it sold. And a lot of people are very happy with that. And they're okay with that, especially when they didn't pay for the house for so long. A lot of people we buy from inherited houses,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: right? So they didn't even have any kind of, you know, payments or you know anything like that beyond property taxes, um, and so I think that there was there was some some coaching with respect to the fact that people do want to sell, and you have to believe that. I think you know you have to go into that believing that people will, because when you don't, you're coming in and you're gonna you're gonna talk and talk and talk, and you're gonna try to justify everything, and that doesn't. You know, do well because then people start wondering why is this guy pushing so hard to convince me this is you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. like that kind of kind of training that comes with with some time um once we grew from there and started bringing on like a lead manager dispositions uh, we were a part of a mastermind group and and we were learning things about uh you know the personality test stuff the disc mm-hmm. things for for different roles Uh, You want like a higher D for for acquisitions and a higher C task oriented person for something like lead, lead intake, um, things like that. But I think a lot of it just has to do with also who's talking to the customers and, you know, potential sellers of houses and making sure that they're taking the time to be friendly and build rapport. Because I think at the end of the day, when you're direct buying directly from sellers, you know, that's one of the biggest components is the, do they like you or not? Cause I've had myself for what, nine years, eight or nine years doing it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many times where people told me I got offered more, but I liked you. Well, I liked you and trusted you more. So I want to go with you and, and, you know, it just speaks right. to the fact that, yeah.
1: Yeah. We've, we've, I've received that type of feedback as well. You know, the unfortunately sometimes though, uh, liking you only goes so far and, and people's memories of is very brief. So unless they like you and you stay in front of them, uh, it, it can fall apart pretty quickly. So, so how did you decide where to, how to uh, compensate these people? Like, especially that first acquisitions guy, I know he was a relative, but you must've put some thought into how that was going to work out.
2: And I'm trying to remember what exactly the the compensation was. I know that we paid a salary because there was, you know, not not a for sure. We, we didn't know what to expect as far as how many deals we were going to be able to close and the percentage sure. of that and all that kind of thing. So he may have just been straight salary at that point. And I know that the the next one that we had brought on that we had for a long time that actually ended up Managing a lot of the team, we what we did with him was we had I think it was like a fifty thousand dollars salary, and then commission. I forgot what it was, but maybe it was ten ten percent maybe, ten mm-hmm. percent of the net or something like that. And but but the commissions actually came out of the salary. So if he if he made a total of seventy five thousand dollars in commission, fifty of that was a salary, and then twenty five so. The commission was only paid if it went over the fifty thousand salary. Sure. looks okay. so like you know guaranteed stability for his family, but then you know, push an incentive to get over that. Is that how you're compensating people today? And today, actually, I don't have a team for buying houses. it's it's back to to just being me because I've actually transitioned to the software and I'm buying rental properties now. And so I don't have I don't have a team going on that. and actually, what had happened there was was a year and a half ago. I, I got divorced actually. And when we split things, she took the, the real estate business and I took the software business. Oh, sure. And so and okay. then we split up what rentals we had and notes that we had and stuff like that. But so I decided that I would keep most of what I generate motivated seller wise, leads wise, is through my website. So I just, as leads come in from that, I work those myself and either wholesale or keep those rental properties.
1: Sure. Sure.
2: So, you know, you, you, you bring up the software.
1: What was your background there that made you go down this approach, like uh, building some of the, these solutions? I mean, you got the CRM and, and a few other things, were you filling your own need and then kind of went from there or how did that start?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I started, I have a degree in computer science. And I was doing that before I got into real estate investing. I was doing software development. And early on, I created um, CRM system for myself on my laptop to manage leads. And uh, I saw the necessity there. But of course, it was on my laptop, something happened to that laptop, I was really screwed. <laughs> I would lose all of my data, everything that I had. Right. Um, and then over time, as things progressed, and, and more and more was was happening on the internet, and then we were having to where we could do a cloud-based system. We started building that, and and then having, and that happened about the time that we were transitioning into bringing people in to help us out, so I had more time to do that. And really, for me, the, that is the creative part of it. You know, for the for the house business and the marketing in the beginning, the creative part was figuring out how to get motivated sellers to call me. I really absolutely love that. You know, mm-hmm. just I could spend so much time just sitting there thinking of ways to reach motivated sellers that other people weren't doing. And and I'm sure everybody's done everything at some point. But I mean, the fun of doing that myself as well right. uh, really resonated with me. But with the software, the you know, it never ends with what can be done. And so the, that's like a creative outlet for me. And I built, the first one was actually REI Mobile. And I, I brought, we. I think we had about 100 customers on there. And I didn't know how to run that business either at the time as as a the promotional part of it. And so I was kind of like, I knew the software, I was worried about it scaling. Mm-hmm. What would happen if I scaled, if something would happen with the data, I was kind of worried about it. And even though we never had a problem, and I actually had an investor friend of mine that was local that was using it, that was telling me, "What are you doing? Why are you not putting? This is incredible. This is so crazy that you're not marketing this." And I'm like, "Well, it's not good enough," because I just wanted to create. You know, so if right. I went and did that, I could no longer create, and I think that really kept me from from doing it. Uh, but but I got over that over over time. But it took a couple iterations. And so RAI Mobile got redeveloped as uh, Flip Pilot, and then Flip Pilot we just um, revamped and uh, made it Forefront.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so Forefront has been out for for a while now, and you know we've had we've got hundreds of of users on there that, that absolutely love the software, and I'm I'm promoting it now. Uh, but the big thing that we did in the transition from RA Mobile to flip pilot was we actually had a flip pilot 1.0 and that basically did everything for everybody. I was friends with a lot of high level mastermind people, and they were saying all the things that they wanted, and we were trying to build something off of Podio for them because mm-hmm. they were all sick of Podio. And so we Most built in. Most people eventually
1: thing. do get sick of Podio. What's that? Most people do yeah. get <laughs> sick of Podio. <laughs>
2: Yeah, any general UCRM is going to be a little bit clunkier to use. And, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: so basically, long story short, we built crazy phone stuff in there where you could have the soft phone dialer up on your web browser and actually forward it to a team member Mm -hmm. and track all this and that. And the other thing, it was this huge system that did so many things. Well, it turns out that that also made the usability difficult. And most people were not as large as all those people in that mastermind. So when it came to, you know, that fitting the majority of real estate investors, it didn't happen that way. So it was kind of sure. like a flawed thing of we need as many features as possible. Mm-hmm. So from that lesson, when we rebuilt that, we said, you know what, we're going to do this a different way. Because part of the problem was I was also a customer of it. Right. So I was like, I want everything, which is like if you've, you ever watched The Simpsons, mm-hmm. you know, where Homer Simpson built that car. The Homer Simpson car.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> that was like, flip there's pilot. so many, so many features that eventually becomes unusable.
2: Right. And weird, yeah. you know? So, so there was that, what we did when we rebuilt it, because somebody actually even asked me, it was like, well, what is the, what, what is this for? And it took me a minute to really like, remember why, why, what is this even for? Like you kind of lose the, the, even the perspective of what the system is really for
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, because then it becomes all about adding features and that's sort of the race everybody is on but it made me stop and say okay well why did I need software in the first place it's really just to make sure that I was able to track my lead so that nothing slipped through the cracks and then that I could do follow-up to stay on top of it because that becomes too much unless you have somebody dedicated to doing Mm -hmm. follow-up and so really, though, at the end of the day, those are the two things. And so mm-hmm. it's like, well, if we just become really good at that and make sure that we stick to making sure that you can do that very easily, simply, and you know, in, a, in a way that's kind of enjoyable, software you like to use. Because you know, I think all of us have used software that we hate and then some that we're like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a whole lot of time in UI UX, you know, user experience, user interface, Um, stuff. And I've got the guy on my team, Josh, that's incredible at that. And we've, we've, we've built things, we've changed things. Now with this approach, also we communicate with the customers constantly. We have zoom calls every other week and people come on and then we'll say, Hey, this is what we're planning on doing. Here's what it looks like. What's your input? What do you think? And they give input and we change things before we build it. And that's how we've really grown the system by doing that. And it's really kept it, And one of our core values is simple. And so people, you know, a lot of customers are always saying, you know, we love that you're sticking to that core value of simple because we've used other systems, started out great, and then they started adding everything, and it became just such a mess that that I find that I was in the system more than I wanted to be instead of doing deals. Mm -hmm. You know, the software became sort of a problem more than an assistance. And he said, and the people with teams would say that, you know, I'm, I'm getting all these calls from my team and I've got to deal with all this stuff with showing them how to do things. And it's just, you know, it's not helping us. Like it doesn't help us when it's not super simple to use. Mm-hmm. And I know like when you hear about that, it's kind of hard to, to wrap your head around, well, what does he mean by that? Like, how did they make it super simple to use? And I'll just say that have you, if you've ever used software like Podio, where you're going through a lead and you're looking for information and you find that you have to go six, seven, eight clicks deep to get to something, Mm -hmm. do something. And then when you're done, you have to go back out and find where you were and go to the next thing or find, you know, and you're just clicking way too much. Well, you've built it where it's, you know, you're not going more than one or two clicks in ever Mm -hmm. and you never lose your spot. So if you've ever used Trello or anything like that, like a list of board Mm -hmm. style, you drag and drop, Everything is built on that and, uh, and made to be where you don't have to click in deep and you don't have to scroll a lot. So we True. did a lot of focusing on what's important on this screen, what needs to go where, and, you know, one of those things is communication, right? When, when the system's built to help you take a lead and do everything that you can turn it into a deal, Really at the end of the day, the biggest, most important thing is communication. It's it's who's communicating what to these sellers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. If it's not a deal yet, you're communicating to with them about scheduling with about the house information. And then it's following up and you know, saying, We made an offer, have you considered it? What do you think? And then over time following up if they haven't sold it you know, to still try to try to buy the house. And so that's really kind of front and center in our system is making sure that every communication is handled. And you can quickly see all of the communications, but also on the record, you can see the whole history of everything that's happened and all the communications that have happened, including listening to to phone call recordings and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So it, it sounds like you've
1: applied a lot of what you learned in real estate, especially on how to Stop treating it like a hobby, but treating it like a business. would you say that's a fair statement when it comes to your software business as well?
2: Oh, absolutely yeah yeah so, it took yeah. no, go ahead yeah, you know I, I made some mistakes in the software business too. We had nineteen people on the team at one point, and uh, we're we're down to a lean, mean um, actually seven people on the team now, but it's great because it's all it's all dialed in. Like we're, we're all really work well together and and everybody owns their positions. and just, it's been great.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So,
1: you know, uh, you know, I hate to pull you because we could spend a lot of time on the software, but I hate to pull you back into the real estate investing, but with your, you're kind of in a unique situation now, knowing what you know now, what are the things you would have done differently when getting started in real estate and investing or even flipping?
2: Oh, that's easy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What I would do different is do, you know, I would follow a book like traction. I would follow the entrepreneur operating system. I would set up my plan. I would have my, my goal for the year, break that down into quarters, know what I'm measuring. And then I would execute. And then I would look and track those numbers every single week to know where I am, you know, what's, what's happening. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I don't know if you know, a lot of people know about traction, but they don't know about 90 it's called 90.io. And that's actually the software that they put out that uh, allows you to do your meetings and stuff through the software. And then you can track your KPIs in there. And, uh, and so That shows you week over week what your KPIs were so you see trends, right? And the whole purpose of that, and I say that before I say team because you kind of need to have the business set up for a team, you know, for people before you bring them on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so I would have those things set up. I would start executing. As I executed, I would document every single thing I did, and we use Tetra for that. And that's a free software that you can use to to have your processes in place, easily searchable, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and what's great about that is your team can actually, you know, uh, ask a question or, or, uh, you know, ask something or, you know, if they want to make an update to it or make a suggestion, they can do that. And it's all tied to the process. So it's everything's documented.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So it's really cool. So I would document every single thing because that was a big mistake in the hiring before was come on, shadow me. Whereas, and if I did it again, I would say, come in, here's your folder for that role that you are taking within the company right here in Tetra. And uh, this is all the things that, that you'll be asked to do. And then these are the KPIs that we're measuring to track your performance. This is how you will know whether you're doing a good job or not. Sure. And it's a number.
1: Okay. No, those are those are some good tips. Um, you know, I, I just realized we've been going for for over almost forty minutes here now, um, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so uh, I hate to hate to close this out because I think we could continue to continue to build on this. But um, one question that I typically get a great answer for, and it might take up chew up some more time, is is uh, what question do you wish I would have asked you here today?
2: Wow. You know, something along the lines of personal development. Sure. You know, we started the show with the thing, I uh, talk a little bit about mindset. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that there's been periods of my life where I felt like I did the hard stuff. I made it through, I had some success. And I got lazy. I got a little bit, you know, I rested on that, and so I felt like I, I put in my hard work. Mm-hmm. And so there were there were long stretches of time where it was like frustrating to have to deal with problems. It was like I'm beyond this. And you know, it took a while to to understand that that's that that was happening, right? And it, it, and really, the source of that was just this idea that that you grow and then you're done. It's kind of like you work out and then you don't need to work out anymore. Well, that's never true. And it's kind of amazing how it wasn't so obvious at the time though,
3: Mm.
2: you know, that I'd gotten to like a stale kind of plateaued sort of place. So I I think just to, you know, always keeping an eye out for that in ourselves because really the the outer world, right, is the reflection of our inner world, right? Mm. And so if we're not constantly... Looking at that, you know, we couldn't be dealing with things that we don't like to deal with because we haven't dealt with what's inside.
1: Yeah, you know, there's been a couple times during this episode where you've given clear examples of. of, I'm going to use the the time you're talking about getting into flipping and buying uh, properties for the first time and dealing with these leads. Um, It it, it's like a mindset light switch that occurs in most people when they get that first deal under contract, it might be, it it will be the hardest deal you do. I guarantee it. That first deal is the hardest one, but once it happens, it's like a domino things. It makes sense. Things click. And now you think it's possible. Mm-hmm. And don't you find the next one's easier?
2: Oh yeah. And it comes so much faster too. Yeah. And it's, it's like just like
1: believe. you and, 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 and uh, your software business and a few other things. It seems like when you got to traction and the uh, entrepreneur operating system, some of this this the building a business, um, now it seems like that's become your default. You're building businesses versus hobbies.
2: Hmm. Yeah, It became
1: a, good- a big mindset shift for you, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I'm still growing through it, but yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just find it. I just, I I just love listening to these transformations and the way the way people work through it. I mean, you're a perfect example of that. I I really appreciate the time you gave us and and those lessons. Um, And I hope you'll consider coming back sometime Um, Mm -hmm. again. If you want to listen and hear more from Danny, check out his podcast. You got the Flipping Junkie. And braver, braver is a, is a new podcast for you. Why don't you give us a little elevator pitch on that? What's what what's going on with braver?
2: Sure, braver is my wanting to have a, a structured approach to uh, people that are you know generating some leads, doing some deals, but finding themselves wearing all the hats and not really sure what to do. Like where I was, sure, you know, looking at the fears and what's, what people are avoiding. And so whenever I interview people on that show, it's, it's like, Hey, what are you avoiding? And Mm -hmm. what is this really about? Sure. It's keeping you because you know what you need to do, but you're not doing it. And why is that? And so that's really the, 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 in the name braver was because, uh, it's a voluntary look at the fear. And, you know, I was listening to Jordan Peterson. He was talking about uh, fear in the way in, in clinical studies you know and they say that fear doesn't really go away mm-hmm. it's that we become braver right and you can either choose to voluntarily face a fear or you can avoid it if you avoid it you're kind of closing in and hiding and it's not good right and but if you voluntarily face it you know it's it's like a call to adventure he says it's like this it's an exciting thing if you face it voluntarily. And so I just love that. And that's that's kind of like the focus of the show. Yeah, great. So I want to give
1: everybody one call to action. If they do took one action for you, Danny, what should they do? Should they go to your website to check out your podcast? What's that one action?
2: The one action would be to uh, go to braver.fm. Check out that podcast. Because even if you're new, I think it's good to, to hear some of that stuff to see. As you're getting into the business, you know, do that. So braver.fm for the Braver podcast.
1: No, that's that's great. I really appreciate your time, Danny. You have an open invite. Hope you uh, take me up on that sometime.
2: All right. You, you never know. I might call and say, hey, why don't I fly up and hang out with you? <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to want to come where I'm at. Where are you at?
1: I don't even know. I'm up near Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, wow. So why don't you come up and see me in February?
2: No, I think I come in <laughs> the middle summer is actually right now is a good
0: time.
1: So well thank you, Danny. We'll talk again sometime. All right, take care. Thanks,
2: Jack.
0: This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today financial contributions are always appreciated, along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.